Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her heart's service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. And he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weigh the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge, or showed him a path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for, for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom, then, will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understand since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth with its people. And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the, world, the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner are they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out starry hosts one by one, and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob, 
Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of, of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we start to read Isaiah 40, and we read, Comfort, comfort my people. We may be under the assumption, and I know I was initially, that the Israelites are living in captivity. Since, since comfort, comfort, in this case, are synonymous with encouragement, encouragement, or be encouraged, be encouraged. And this definitely is keeping with a group of people in captivity. But the truth of the matter is, at the time of writing... They're still 100 years away from a captivity that would last 70 years. It is written to encourage a group of people 170 years in the future. Now much can be said about prophecy from this chapter, but that's for another message. The first section of this passage is the first 11 verses. And these will address the question at the forefront of those hearing these words will in captivity. The question whether God is casting off or cutting off the Israelites, the promised nation from his presence. He is speaking of a time when they will be crushed. They'll be crushed under the burden of their sins and a sense of abandonment of God will follow. The resounding answer of encouragement is that no, God is not doing this to destroy them but to discipline them. And when that has been completed, when that discipline has run its full course, God will restore them. In fact, this restoration is so assured, they will not be waiting for mere men that may fail the task. No, it's God who will be setting these captives free. God has most assuredly not cast off this nation. You may punish or torture your enemies, But you discipline those you love, just as we as parents will discipline our children. And there is a beginning and there is an end to that. God is not dissimilar. As verse 2 says, her, that that her being Israel, Israel's hard service has been completed. Calvin echoes this when he says, God does not wish to harass his people continually, but to set a limit on their afflictions. Comparing their time of captivity to a righteous war, where at the end of said war, the soldiers, after receiving an honorable discharge, may return home and enjoy peace and quietness for a season. In this first section, it seems that the writer is not fully on board. A voice says, shout. And I said, what shall I shout? These people are nothing but grass. Their love is fragile as wildflowers. The grass withers, the wildflowers fade. 
of God so much as puffs on them. Immediately, though, he turns from his questions about man's resolve to faith in God. Aren't these people just so much grass? True, the grass withers and the wild flowers fade, but, but, our, God's, but our God's word stands firm and forever. Beautiful confession, showing the original target audience, and us too, that we can trust God at his word, even this word through his prophet Isaiah. Verses 12 to 14 is our bridge, if you will. In these verses, you will witness a series of rhetorical questions. It has been established in his word that God plans to bring the Israelites back to Jerusalem. The question remains, though, is God able to accomplish his task? Put your mind with these Israelites. Remember, we are talking about the most powerful kingdom of the time, the Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar. And a good chunk of these people have spent their entire lives as slaves of this kingdom. So I think it's safe to say that they may or probably do have doubts. And maybe, maybe even a show me I can trust you, then maybe I will trust you mentality. The questions in these three verses are there to leave the reader with a confession of humbly acknowledging there is none other than Yahweh, the Almighty, the lone creator of heaven and earth. Who has scooped up the ocean in his two hands or measured the sky between his thumb and little finger? You ever think about that verse? Put up your hand, measure that. Let's talk about God's name. Who has measured that? Who has measured the sky and the ocean between that? Who has put all the earth's dirt in one of his baskets, weighed each mountain and hill? Who could ever have told God what to do or taught him his business? What expert would he have gone to for advice? What school would he attend to learn justice? What God do you suppose might have taught him what he knows? Showed him how things work. The author shows God is separate from creation. Clearly, clearly there is none that can compare to him. He is above and beyond creation. God is not part of creation. In the NIV commentary that I use, it tells us, in the ancient Near East, where polytheistic religions were popular, the understanding was that major decisions were made by the divine council. Isaiah insists that Yahweh has no advisors, nor does he work within the assembly of the gods. In fact, if you go back to Exodus 20, the first command, have no other gods before me. It touches on this polytheistic view And that God does not say that you cannot hold any other God in higher esteem than Jehovah, but instead he goes further and says, no gods are to be within Jehovah's presence. Yahweh is not the head of a pantheon of gods. Simply put, there are none other. None other that could possibly stand in his presence. Remembering that the target audience, those who will for 70 years 
be held captive by the Babylonians and perhaps perceive that freedom is nothing more than a pipe dream. God emphasizes that compared to him, these so-called great nations are less than nothing. Look at the analogies in this text. These, na- these nations amount to only dust on way scales. The prophet assures them that God's resolve is so sure that if the forests of Lebanon were burnt as an altar and the animals within were, were the sacrifice, they would have zero effect on God's resolve to free them after their discipline has run its course. Clearly, the depiction of God as some earthly creature or of the imagination of an artist is a problem. As God asks, who exactly do you think you can compare me to? If no gods can stand in his presence, and since God is the sole creator, since God is Lord over all nations, and since God is above creations, how can anything in creation depict him? Let me say it again. This is a point we just can't stress enough. God asks exactly who do you think you can compare me to? If no gods can stand in his presence, and since God is the sole creator, and since God is Lord over all nations, and since God is above creation, how can anything in creation depict him? In short, how can something made by humans represent, do justice to the one who made those humans? To go a little deeper with these gods, consider the chief Babylonian god was Marduk, who was represented as a dragon, as was the chief of pantheon, and was the chief of the pantheon of gods, and ruling on his side was Tamet, who was a dragon goddess. These were thought to be the most powerful of the gods. Then, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace for failure to bow to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made of his own likeness, Nebuchadnezzar proclaims in Daniel 3, Look, I see four men walking around in that fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. And what happens to their great god, the dragon? When you get home, pull out your Bibles and read Revelations 12. To those people who have held God's people captive, and to the Israelites who fear for those who control them, Isaiah says, He brings princes to naught and reduces rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner they take root in the ground than He blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. At the beginning of this message, we watched a video of two young men showing us what trust is not. The Israelites got themselves into a time of discipline because they refused to put their trust in a God who had proven time and time again of his love for them. Isaiah 40 prophesies that a time of discipline is coming. And when it comes, they will recognize the truth of God's word. After that period, God will bring them back, showing that he is 
trustworthy. The second half of Isaiah 40 demonstrates that he alone is God. His word is truth. How can these people be assured that God can accomplish these things? Twice in this chapter, specifically verses 21 and 28, are the words, Do you not know? Have you not heard? These are uttered. There is a long history of God delivering his people from calamity. God, in essence, essence says, Check my record if you still doubt my ability. God says, I am Jehovah. I will do as I say. You have seen it before, and you will see it again. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? The testimony of parents to children is recalled. Psalm 145, 3-5. Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. Trust is a delicate thing. We have a choice. Do we wear the model in God we trust as a saying on a t-shirt that we can put on or take off as it suits us? Or do we believe Christianity is not something we do, but entails who we are, the very essence of our being, part of our DNA, if you will? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? This statement reminded the Israelites of the history, of all God had done for them, and to encourage them to again put their trust in God. What about us? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Does that statement also send you back to all that God has done for you? Does it not remind us of how we also learn things passed down from our parents. Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. How much more proof do we need before we will turn or turn again to the only one that will never sever or crush that trust? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come again to you. As we read the first words of this chapter, and read comfort, comfort. We're encouraged as we too recognize the comfort that we receive daily from you. As we identify the discipline that you administer to the Israelites, Israelite people, and recognize times where you discipline us as well, and are encouraged how we understand that our discipline too has a beginning and an end, and that discipline is not done to hurt us, but to draw us back to you. We see it as I was love you do this. Lord, you have shown us time and time again of your trustworthiness. 
Even in her catechism, you teach us that not a hair falls out without your will. There truly is none that can compare to you, Lord. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Was in our scripture tonight. When speaking of your faithfulness, and truly we have been shown and taught since we were children. And we thank you for faithful parents and a faithful, faithful church members who value teaching and training us in our formative years. We pray that we will continue to be that church that encourages, instructs, and blesses the most vulnerable through the years. Amen. In our formative